the mothers in the house and to all our mothers around the world. Let's give the Lord a big hand of praise in the name of Jesus. Mothers are wonderful people. Many times when my wife is speaking to me, she'll be reminding me of things I need to get done on the day or things I need to get done as I'm going somewhere. And I, I tell her, I say, many times when you are speaking, I hear my mother speaking to me again, reminding me of those things. When I was going to secondary school in, back in, in Africa, I was a teenager. We used to go to boarding house and um, I, was, I was schooling 700 kilometers away from where we lived in northern Nigeria. And um, my mother, every, every time I was going, every 90 days I came back after the term and went back again, every time I was traveling, I could almost recite with her the things she was going to say to me, the same lines, you know, make sure you go to church, make sure you work hard, all those things. In the, she has them in a sequence like that. And she, she, I, I said to my wife, I said, you know, I can hear my mother many times when you are reminding me of the many things that need to be done. And uh, that is the heart of a mother for you. Always caring for us and always making sure that we are in the place uh, God wants us to be. And so let's keep appreciating God for our mothers. It's not just for us a celebratory day like everybody says. We believe it's a covenant. Uh, it's, a, it's a privilege to celebrate mothers in the covenant. It's a privilege for us to celebrate mothers who are godly because they are shapers of destinies. They are those who are doing the Proverbs 22 verse 6 mandate of training up a child the way he should go so that they don't depart from it. They are saving the destiny of mankind. They are investing everything that they have into the offsprings that have come through their loins and through their wombs rather and, and, and are giving them hope of the future and helping us to preserve a generation for the coming of the soon coming king, the Lord Jesus. So let's continue to appreciate. We pray for our mothers in the house today that God will continue to give them wisdom and strength in the name of Jesus. And uh, I want to welcome everyone also who is worshiping online. And uh, we want to thank God for how God has been helping us. It has really been a very, very challenging one year. And um, some of you have just stuck on. Some of you have, you know, really, really took the battle where you are and uh, you've been making your contributions and just making sure that services are run very well as, much, as best as possible. We want to appreciate you, but I believe we are gradually seeing the end of this era in mankind and God helping us very soon will be able to return for physical worship. And of course, we will remain open to online worship, but that will be particularly much more for those who may want to join us from geographically distant lands. So we want to trust God or distant places. We want to trust God for uh, that and um, let's continue to pray. By the grace of God, in two weeks' time, on the 28th of March, we plan to reopen our doors for physical worship again. And may God make it good for us in Jesus' name. Let's give the Lord, let's give the Lord a big hand. Hallelujah. So we are thankful to God for that. Um, we have been on a series since last week, Enjoying Fruitfulness Overflow. And um, as I said to you, you've seen the banner there. Uh, every point we put the leaf shows us where uh, we're concentrating on. Today we are looking at the stony heart. We said there are, three kinds of, there are four kinds of hearts, three that have to be destroyed, one that has to be developed. We said last week that Jesus talked about this in the parable of the sower 
Pastor Cephas led us very powerfully in reading the Bible scriptures today in Mark chapter 4, verse 1 to 20. It is our actual Bible scripture throughout the entire month, as I said last week. And um, Jesus talked about these four types of hearts, the wayside heart, the stony heart, the thorny heart, and he said, he talked about the good heart. You can see in our banner, we've, we've sort of enlarged the good heart because that's our target. That's what we want to maintain. And I said to you last Sunday as well that anyone who is born again has a good heart. He's already been given a good heart. However, what we must understand is that the work of the devil is to continue to seek to make that good heart a wayside heart or have a wayside experience. You see, a wayside heart may not necessarily be a bad heart, but the truth is that it does not get to benefit from the seed of the word because the Bible says the seed fell by the wayside. So it actually fell on a place, even though the good heart was there to receive it, but it fell elsewhere rather than in the good heart. And I liken that, that to word that comes to our sense knowledge and we're finding difficult to put into our, our minds and our spirit man to process and make fruitful of, uh, in, in our lives. So that is the wayside heart. So the seeds fall on the wayside and the birds of the air. Last week, we identified two particular birds that can steal those hearts. We talked about the bird of unbelief and we talked about the bird of fear, the bird of unbelief and the bird of fear. We say these ones steal the word. So before it gets to the good ground to, to grow, they steal the word. And uh, we must continue to work on our hearts so that they don't become wayside. They don't become wayside. They don't, they don't become uh, hearts that just keep receiving seed on the wayside. You see, many Christians are like this unconsciously. They are people who hear the word. But because they are living in so much unbelief, they are living in so much of fear, because unbelief prevents us from accepting the totality of the word. Fear prevents us from taking the steps in obedience to the word. So because they are living in either unbelief or fear, it becomes impossible for the seed to get to the place in their hearts where it can actually grow and bear fruit. So we have to keep making sure that we don't let that happen to us. Praise the Lord. And uh, this week, by the grace of God, we'll look at the stony heart. The stony heart. We said last week in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, that the heart is so important. The Bible says we should keep it with all diligence. We should keep it with all diligence. Proverbs 4, 23. We should keep it with all diligence, for out of it springs forth the issues of life. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Hallelujah. And this is so important. Out of it springs the issues of life. Out of your heart. Jesus speaking in Luke chapter 6 verse 45. You don't need to turn to it, but you know, Jesus said a good man out of the good treasures of his heart brings forth good. But an evil man out of the evil treasures of the heart also brings forth evil. For out of the uh, abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Every time God likens the heart and the mouth you must need to see that the important thing is not so much the mouth, but the heart. Because whatever is in the heart is what the mouth speaks, is what the mouth commands. So we need to work on our hearts. Romans chapter 10, he said, For with the heart man believes to righteousness, not with the mouth. 
A lot of people are confessing God with the mouth, but the heart is far from him. That's what the Bible says. With the heart, man believes to righteousness, and with the mouth then, when you believe to righteousness in the heart, the mouth now confesses to salvation. This is why every time we try to reach people with the message of salvation, we must seek to get to their heart because that's where Jesus is knocking. He's not staying at their mouth. We pray for their hearts. We speak to their hearts. We pray that they open up their hearts. In Revelation 3.20, he say, I stand at the door of your heart and I'm knocking. I want to go into your heart because when I can come into your heart, I can allow your heart to start springing forth the issues of life. I can allow your heart to become a good heart. So our heart is so important. Now the word heart means many things in scriptures. You need to read it in context every time. It can at times refer to your spirit man. At times it refers to your mind. At times it refers to your physical heart. When the Bible says the heart of the man was caught, that means his physical heart stopped working. <laughs> so you need to understand it in the context. But when the Bible is talking about this heart, that you should guard it because it springs the issues of life, is talking about you making sure that, that that Romans chapter 12 verse 1 mind that needs to be consistently transformed, that needs to be renewed, must constantly be worked on. It is not a one-stop shop. It's not a one-time affair. It is something to do with what we are doing consistently and persistently in making sure that we are sticking with God. Hallelujah. I have a lot of things I want to say to you today. I've not started my message at all. I'm just warming you up for, for this stuff. The truth is, this is such an important thing. Many times when people think about wayside, stony, thorny, we think of some people that are not, you know, we think of unbelievers. But you see, by the time Jesus was interpreting this parable, the unbelievers had left. If you go and read again, that's why we have been reading Mark 4, 1 to 20 every time. The Bible says when he was alone, his disciples came to him. So he was talking to those who have already believed. Because if you, if you look, listen to this message from different people, read different books, you will hear all kinds of interpretations about the seed and about the heart. Trust some Pentecostals, that seed has turned to money somehow along the line. <laughs> Trust them. It's the story of the Pentecostal preacher that uh, died away. It is not a true story, but just something to laugh about. The Pentecostal preacher, the Catholic preacher, and the Baptist preacher that died and went to hell. And when they were in hell, the devil came out and told God, he said, come and pack these people from, from this hell. They, they, are, they, are, they are disturbing me. God said, why, why, why? They are supposed to be in hell. He said, no, I can't keep them there. He said, the Catholic man is forgiving everybody. <laughs> he said, the Baptist man has been baptizing as many as he can find to baptize. And he said, that Pentecostal guy has raised enough money to put AC in the whole of hell. <laughs> To put air conditioning. Hallelujah. Ah, that really got me. So it is our gift. But the truth is that we don't, we don't, we don't, we need to understand the truth of these parables. The seed, Jesus said, is the word of God. The sower went out to sow. The sower can be seen in many contexts in different ways depending on how God helps us to look at. But primarily the sower is Jesus, the son of man, the one who came, the son of God, the one who came to make sure that we have the word in our hearts so that we can be saved by it. 
So in this second session, we examine the stony heart. Let's read again some few verses from there. Mark chapter 4, verse 2. Then he taught them many things by parables and said to them in his teaching, Mark 4, 2, verse 3. Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. Go straight to verse 5. Some fell on stony ground where it did not have much earth. Stony ground. It had some earth, but it did not have much. Earth is what is needed to make a, plant, a, a seed germinate and become a plant and bear fruit. Now, the stony earth or the stony ground did not have much earth. So, immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. It did not spend enough time to grow appropriate roots. You see, when you plant a seed, it takes time in the ground. No matter what that seed is, it could be a couple of days, at times it could be years. It takes time in the ground and processes itself and then it grows. There are plants that grow within a day or two. You can start to see the ear coming out. The Bible says first the ear, then the bud, and then the fruits, and so on, and the grain. But the reality is that there are some. When I was an undergraduate a few years ago now, time flies very quickly, three decades ago, I did my project, my civil engineering final year project on the bamboo, the bamboo, the Chinese bamboo. And I read a lot about it then. We were using it for different things. People still today, they're still investigating. It's a very wonderful plant. The bamboo. We use it in the engineering building work for scaffolding. We use it uh, as, as reinforcement. We use it to make concrete stronger. We use it to make mats. We use it for all kinds of things. Very strong, very strong uh, uh, plant. And um, because it is hollow, we were investigating at that time. This was late 80s. We were investigating how to use it as a pipe. So I was trying to study the hydraulic properties. So we were running a lot of experiments and watching water go through it and measuring the discharge rate and comparing it with uh, the other kinds of pipes and then we were able to determine some kind of friction factor and so on and so forth. Let me not bore you with that. But the reality is that I studied about the bamboo plant then and I learned many things. One thing about the bamboo plant is that when you plant it, you see nothing come out for three years. For three years. In fact, it will look as if you wasted your time. But the fourth year, it shoots out. And within one year, it grows to over 80 feet. <laughs> within one year. It takes so much time in the ground. And then it spreads itself. And it has a connection of many roots in the ground. But when you see it outside, it has taken a lot of time. Okay? And that is how the world works many times. It takes time. It takes time. So it needs good ground. It needs patience. That's why when Paul will talk about the word, the word, he said, I planted, Apollos watered, God gave increase. Because there is a time for every kind of thing to take place. In our day and age, we just want to see increase. As soon as we plant, we say, brother, water quick. And then we want to see increase. Brother, let's pray Holy Ghost fire now. Water quick, quick. No, 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 no. The Bible says God gives increase. God determines everything and makes it good in its own time. So we must let the word be on good ground for us. 
Now, Jesus explained in verse 16 what it is. He said, therefore, the likewise, the one sown on stony ground, verse 16, who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with gladness. Someone say, immediately. They immediately receive it with gladness. But what happens in verse 17? The Bible says, and they have no root in themselves, and so endure only for a time. They do not allow the word, the word, their heart is such that it does not allow the word of God to process itself in time in them. And then afterward, when tribulation or persecution arises for the world's sake, not just any kind of tribulation, something that arises to challenge their faith, to challenge their standing. When it arises for the world's sake, immediately they stumble. Now, when I look at the body of Christ today, sad to say, this is a state of many people in the body of Christ. Very flaky Christians. Christians who, by confession and by courage, present themselves as being born again, but are thrown off by the slightest challenge. In fact, you don't need tribulation for many of them. You just need to, just, just something very flaky, and they're gone. It shows us that the heart is a stony heart. That heart, that heart has some earth, but it's so shallow. And so the slightest manifestation of persecution is throwing them off. We cannot afford to live like that as Christians. The stony ground does not have much earth. No, it doesn't. Immediately the seeds come out of them, it, because it has no depth, they begin to lose their bearing at the slightest form of persecution. The Bible says when the sun scorched it. When the sun scorched it. When the sun attacks, when the sun comes on a plant, a plant that has proper roots will enjoy from the sun and go through what the Bible calls, what, what uh, biologists call photosynthesis. He produces food for itself and it grows. But you see, when it doesn't have proper roots, roots are meant to be covered under the earth. They are not meant to be scorched by the sun. But when the root of a plant is exposed to the sun and it is scorched, it withers away because the sun is attacking the root and is not helping the plant to grow because that plant is growing out of season and incorrectly. Many believers today are growing out of season and incorrectly with false doctrines. This is why a lot of people are born again because they told them that if they come to Jesus Christ, that Jesus was going to solve all their problems and they were going to become so rich they will never see any kind of problem again. So many of them felt, ah, why not? This is a good thing. So when they get born again and they are hit with the first sickness, hit with the first challenge, they are blown off. They are blown off because they cannot see what was promised them. And we must understand this as those who work on our own hearts, but also those who are discipling people. So we must understand. Jesus now described the conditions and the situations that make for a stony heart. The first thing Jesus said, as we read in verse 16, is that they received the word with gladness. These people are excitable. They are people who always, when they hear the word, they, they are full of, of gladness. The Bible says they receive it immediately with gladness. This is very typical, again, of many Christians of today. Very happy on a Sunday. Very happy in church. They are bouncing and they are all over the place. But this first attack 
of the enemy on Monday morning, all their faith, it, it goes back to the church it, it was yesterday where they found it. <laughs> they send it back there. No root whatsoever. No ability to understand. Listen, friends. True joy in this kingdom is founded upon proper righteousness. Romans 14, 17. It says, for the kingdom of God is not in eating and drinking. It's not in merrymaking. This is why churches trying to attract people by pure entertainment. I like laughing. I enjoy. I enjoy laughing because I know the power of laughter. I, I don't think I can go two hours. It's impossible without laughing. I will make myself laugh even there's nothing making me laugh. <laughs> I will remind myself something that makes me laugh. I enjoy laughing because I find that when you laugh a lot, there is no way things can stay in your heart. Somebody talking about you, somebody not happy with you, or some problem about to happen, or some physical, financial challenge, all those things don't have a control over you if you learn how to keep laughing. So, I'm not against laughing. But you see, in recent times, especially in certain parts of the world, people have seen, uh, people have taken the place of entertainment into church in the name of making people laugh to the point whereby they even bring comedians who are cursing God and speaking all kinds of vile things in, in the name of making, wanting to make people laugh. That is not the will of God. The kingdom of God is in righteousness and peace and joy. That's what Romans 14, 17 says. Can I have a little bit of the buzz or echo? I'm just hearing myself too much. Thank you. Say, for the kingdom of God is not in eating and drinking, but it is in righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Romans 14, 17. So we start with righteousness. If we want to experience true joy, you must start on the altar of purity and righteousness. Leverage your new status in Christ as a righteous person, then enjoy the peace with God. Thank you. The peace with God and the peace of God. When you have made peace with God, then you can enjoy the peace of God and then you can have true joy and keep using that one to draw waters out of the wells of salvation. When we are trying to create it the other way by entertainment and we are trying to make ourselves happy and go from, from meeting to meeting and, uh, and do the happy clappy dance and those things that may look good and spiritual without stunting from righteousness, we are missing the point. Many times when our choir present the lineup for the day, I listen to all the songs. As I'm preparing my message, I listen to all the songs they've selected, especially the one that they sing before the message. So at times, because they put the, the links that we can watch, I go to watch. And some of the concerts where some of these songs were sung, bless them, packed full of many people. And last night I was asking myself, I said, Lord, if truly everyone here is truly, truly born again, our world will not be what it is. If everyone who, who claps hands in many countries and go to church on a Sunday and like the fun fair and the, 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 the entertainment and those things that we do to make each other glad and just joyful for a moment, immediately, we hear the word. If everyone was truly born again, coming from a place of righteousness and peace and joy, we will not be where we are today. Not as a body of Christ and not as a world. Many people are living in the realms of entertainment. 
This is why if you have a church that is emphatic on the word of God and just want to teach people the word of God and you want to remove the emotionalism and just concentrate on the word of God so that you start people on righteousness, you've got to work hard. The world of today prefers those things that speak to the outside, that suits the mind, that suits the soul, that feeds the body and makes it feel good. As a matter of fact, there are people who will not attend certain churches because they feel the songs they sing there don't make them dance enough. We need to understand. And I'm not saying that you, you can't choose where you go and the kind of worship style, but you don't choose songs that make you dance that has no relationship to building you up spiritually, but just making you dance. I was about to sing a song, but I will forgive the writer. <laughs> Hallelujah. Some songs don't make sense, but we sing them because they soothe our emotions. That serves a purpose if you are truly coming from the altar of righteousness and peace, then it can give you true joy. The Bible says these people, they come from that place where they just want to be glad immediately. But because their heart is hardened, that gladness does not produce fruit. This is basically, this kind of heart is basically caused by a sinful lifestyle. Believers must understand you are born again. Christ has paid for all your sin. You are heaven bound. But I tell you the truth, as long as we are in this world, we must be people who are fighting and warding off sin. The message that is going about today that is telling believers that once you are saved, you are forever saved and nothing can happen again because grace covers you. Satan himself is the bishop of that message. He orchestrated it, fabricated it, and released it into the world. And sadly, many people are teaching it. In the name of saying that, talking about walking not to live in sin is like asking people to walk again for their salvation. That is a lie. Nobody is asking you to walk again for your salvation. Your salvation has been paid for once and for all by the Lord Jesus Christ, but you have a responsibility to be holy. You have a responsibility to check sin in your heart. This is an end time spirit. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 4. It's an end time spirit that believers must understand we have to walk against. 1 Timothy chapter 4 verse 1 and verse 2. He said, now the spirit expressly says that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith. Please, does that refer to unbelievers? Are unbelievers in the faith? No. No. In the end times, some will depart from the faith. Many people who are believers will depart. This is not my saying. This is a prophecy. Paul gave it to Timothy and he said, be careful. Warn the people 2,000 years ago. He said, warn the people that many people in the latter times, the more we move closer to the coming of Jesus, many people will depart from the faith. He said they will be giving heed to deceiving spirits. There are many people who started well 30 years ago, 40 years ago. Some of them started well 20 years ago, 10 years ago. But they, they became impatient for, with God. They can no longer hold on and be tenacious at holding on to the truths of scripture and the value system of this kingdom. 
they began to give heed as it has been prophesied to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Demons have their own doctrines as well. They don't call them doctrines of demons. They quote them like the angel of light. They quote the scriptures like their father did to Jesus Christ. It is written. That's what they quote. They also say it is written. You better do it. It is written. You better do it. But until you understand that this is a doctrine of demons and this is a deceiving spirit, the more you accept it, the more the heart starts to get hardened up and hardened up and hardened up. These people, verse 2, they'll be speaking lies in hypocrisy. Having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. People lie without even thinking anymore. Preachers lying all over the place. When you see those preachers that give you testimonies of every time, everything that happens when they left the church, and you've never seen it in the church, and you are believing that that is your own part of the... <laughs> no miracle ever happens in when they are in where they are people. But when they went last to India, all the dead people in the tombs there came alive. Deceiving spirits, liars, liars. It was Bishop David Oyedeko, God bless him, that said some, some preachers will be lying on the pulpit. Their wife will sit down there and be going, ash, this man again. <laughs> I heard that over 20 years ago, I laughed. He says some preachers will be lying. Everybody doesn't know they're lying. But the woman is saying, this much, this lie. <laughs> God forbid. <laughs> Hallelujah. Their wives, their children, their husbands are looking and saying, this man, this woman, lying. It's not only to preachers. We must work on these things. The perpetuity of willful sinfulness. Causes God to hand over such people to their reprobate minds. We are told in Romans chapter 1. God wants you and I to be saved. God has no problem with a believer falling. That's why scriptures have said, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. He said, but if we confess and renounce those sins, he is what? Faithful and just. So God is not saying that he does not know that you are a frail person that can fall into sin. That's not his issue. He doesn't want you to, but the truth is he wants you to come out of it and repent. It is when you remain in it perpetually and refuse to give it up and take it as, 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 as valid, then he leaves you to it. Romans chapter 1 verse 20. He says, for since the creation of the world and its, and its invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Verse 21. Because although they knew God, these are believers, although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God anymore. They were no longer thankful. They became futile in their thoughts. Their thoughts were no longer the things of the spirit. They are now chasing after the things of the world like those who have never known God. They begin to think outside the confines of scripture. They begin to see philosophies of men. And they begin to see the things that are alluring outside the provisions of scripture as more attractive. They became futile in their thoughts. And their foolish hearts were darkened. Foolish hearts. Romans, Psalm 14.1 is talking about a heart that consistently says that there is no God. By denying the commandment of scripture. Sin is a deviation from the commandment of scripture. Nothing more than that. A deviation from what God has said you should do and should not do. 
Yes, Jesus Christ paid for the ultimate sin that kept us in darkness and brought us into the kingdom of his son. But every time you deviate, you sin. There is no two ways to gloss over it. You deviate, you sin. There are all forms of immorality in the body of Christ today. Things that are very subtle. Things that at times you cannot even imagine are happening in the body of Christ. People cheating on each other. Cheating on their spouses. Cheating on their business partners. I'm talking of believer to believer. And if we don't continue to confront these things, the devil is happy for us to keep clapping and keep creating that atmosphere of temporary and momentary gladness every time. It's not a problem for him. If the people can gather everywhere every Sunday and just be temporarily glad, no root in them, he can easily deal with them. This is why he said deal with that stony heart. Friends, we must understand the Bible says these people in verse 23, Romans 1, 23, they change the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man. They began to define new ways of marriage. They began to define new genders. They began to define new ways of doing things. They began to disregard the things that God hates. They began to love the things God hates and begin to hate the things that God loves. They changed, changed the glory. They changed the glory of the incorruptible God, the immortal God, the invisible God, the only wise God. They started to sup they started to change his wisdom to their wisdom. They began to say among themselves, has God really said? It's all right. Everybody's doing it. Preachers take church money and spend it as if it's their personal money. It's okay. Everybody's doing it. No more fear of God. A total disregard for the incorruptible God. Forget him that he is the ultimate judge. I stand on this pulpit today by the grace and mercies of God reminding myself every day that I am going to be held accountable for this office God gave me. Every believer must understand that we have a duty to keep making sure that the temptation to have a stony heart comes to everyone. Verse 24. When they keep living like that, God also gave them over to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves. And then they began to do all kinds of things. We wonder today why the world is gone off so much. When I was a little child, there were some things you could not even speak in public. You'll be, you'll be lynched. You'll be lynched. Now people say them, even in the corridors of power. People promote them. Believers must, be underst must understand there is no improved version of the scripture. There is no improved version of God. The same God that was is the same God that is, and is the same God we are answerable to in the name of Jesus. We should be careful. The antidote to this kind of stony heart that builds up by sin and perpetuity of sin, I'm calling it perpetuity because it is a sin that just happens and it keeps growing and it keeps growing and God just basically leaves it. The Holy Spirit, the Spirit, God does not strive with the spirit of man. He says it the first time, he says, stop doing this. 
Jesus paid for you to stop doing this. Stop doing it. You stop the first time, and he comes again. You do it again, then he says, stop doing it. And then you don't listen that time. And he comes and says, stop doing it. He stops. He leaves you. And then you see that sin not only grow, it grows into death, like what the Bible says. The only antidote to this is repentance. It's repentance. Stony hearts can be broken easily by repentance. If it is a, a stony heart that has formed itself as a reason by reason of, of sin. Psalm 119, verse 9. He said, How can a young man cleanse his way? How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed, according to your word, by simply taking the word of God and obeying it. Verse 10. He said, With my whole heart, not part of my heart, I have sought you. With my whole heart. Some people are Christians in the church and unbelievers in business. They are Christians in the church and unbelievers in their marriage. They can sing and dance and do everything, but they, they are devils to their spouses. We can't do that with your whole heart. With your whole heart. I will be the biggest of hypocrites if I'm standing here doing what I'm doing now because my whole life is exposed to those people I do business with, those people I work with in the university I work, and those people I do business with. They hear me, see me every day. If I am living double life with them, they will easily write on any of my posting. Or if I have a secret affair with anyone in the church among the ladies, they will easily write and say, don't mind that man. He's always pursuing me all over the place. <laughs> you can't afford it. Your whole heart has to keep seeking God. You want God to make your life a productive life? You can't afford to let part of your heart be taken. His intention is to take small grounds and then more and then more. He is not seeking to make that heart all hardened one day. No! He creeps. We study something called creep in civil engineering. It's a terrible phenomenon. Those of you that in engineering know about creep. It's a gradual, gradual kind of force that pulls down a structure. If you don't take care of it, it just takes time. It pulls it down completely. So we put into structures, creep strength, to resist that kind of thing. We design them to, especially where they are susceptible to such kind of phenomenon. Believers must be wary of creep. The creeping nature of the one who is going about seeking whom he may devour. Don't think that scripture refers to unbelievers. It is much more about believers. I'm very grateful to God. Some of the secondary school mates I have, we meet on WhatsApp. This is almost 40 years ago. We've been friends. 1984, 1980 to 1984, when I met them in that school. We still discuss today. It gladdens my heart to see some of them that we used to pray together as children, as teenagers, as 13-year-olds, 12-year-olds, 13-year-olds, 14-year-olds, clapping in the dining hall at 5 a.m. and saying, he's coming back again, my Lord, he's coming back again. It gladdens my heart when we are still chatting today, preaching across the world. It gladdens my heart. But at the same time, it breaks my heart when I remember some. When I remember some that we were clapping together. But today, they are no more in the faith. They don't want the things of God anymore. The devil is looking to take hold of your heart. Work hard. Work hard. Work hard. Don't allow him. Don't allow him. You must do it. Listen, friends. I'm sure... 
King David will forever be grateful to God for a man called Nathan. David was gone. <laughs> the beloved of God, he was gone. Graduating from lust to adultery to murder and then to complacency because he sat on his throne when Nathan came to him as if nothing happened. <laughs> Until that man, sent of God, because of the love of God, you are hearing my voice today. I'm like a Nathan to you. I have not known your situation, but God is telling you that there are things you need to. You are, you, you are in an emotional relationship with somebody that is not your spouse. Stop it. Stop it. These days, you don't have to commit adultery by physically going together and doing things. You can do a lot of stuff in cyberspace. Stop it. When your children have gone to sleep, you carry your computer, your tablet to one corner of the house and you look at bad images and you use the same lips to praise God. Stop it. Stop it. That heart is gradually turning to a stony heart. King David, the beloved of God, the man whose heart was chasing after God, the man who was chasing after the heart of God, this same man saw an image did not stop there, went ahead and committed adultery. Did not stop there, went ahead and committed murder. King David, my hero, I still call him my hero anyway, went into all those things he did not know. And when Nathan came and said, you are that wicked man that stole the lamb of one, everything came back to him. David did not say, Lord, forgive me, Lord, forgive me. He shouted, create in me a clean heart. My heart is stubborn. My heart is definitely stony. If I cannot realize this, my heart is gone. Lord, create in me a clean heart, a clean heart, and renew the right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, O oh God. Have mercy on me. Every one of us must understand that we have a duty. It's not too late. It's not too late. The danger is dying with a stony heart. When you have a heart that you recognize is stony because it is no longer accepting the things of God and is no longer controlled by the things of God and the things of the Spirit, you must go before the Lord and say, Lord, create in me a clean heart, O oh God. Because nobody will ascend to his holy head with an impure heart. You just be doing religion around that mountain. May God continue to help us to confront the things that are seeking to make our hearts stony in the name of Jesus. Second thing he said in verse 17, he said they have no root in themselves. So when persecution comes, they cannot endure. These people cannot endure temptations, trials, and tribulations. Three things that will always come to believers. Till we see Jesus, you will be tempted you will be tried. You will go through tribulation. When we say tribulation, many people think about the great tribulation that will happen after the rapture. That's not that. That is a kind of tribulation that is not for you if you are a true believer. That's why I don't know why you are afraid to take vaccine. Now, has Jesus come yet? If it is after rapture, I think you should be afraid. <laughs> Jesus has not come. I've taken mine, by the way. They invited me once. I did not argue. I went to take it. I know it's a personal decision, but if you want to know, foolish faith, going about saying that, if you, <laughs> let me continue, <laughs> hallelujah. 
Say Microsoft is trying to do. If Microsoft wanted to sell you, since 1996, where you are using Windows software, those things you did not know anything about, <laughs> and it could get your data easily and know where you live, he would have killed you since that time. <laughs> if Bill Gates wanted to kill you that time, 1996, 97, when we were using those windows that go wow when you put it on, eh? <laughs> he would have killed all of us. I am not for him. I'm not against him. I'm not saying anything. I'm only saying that believers should be sensible and wise. When they were giving you measles and polio and, uh, and uh, typhus, when you were six days old, what did, did you complain? <laughs> did you complain? Stop all this stupidity and hypocrisy. If you have faith and you, you want to believe God, I'm not, I'm not against it. I believe God with you. But God's sense at times just makes things easier for us. That's by the way. But the truth of the matter is that we must understand Trials will come. Temptations will come. Very quickly, let me distinguish them. Temptations are sent by the devil to make you sin. The work of temptations is to come to you to make you sin, to make you compromise. Nothing more. That is all they seek to do. Like it came to Jesus Christ as we know. Trials are allowed by God to happen to us to help us develop our faith, to develop our strength. So when we go through trials, the Bible says we should count it all joy. James said in 2, count it all joy when you face diverse trials and temptations. He said because God will use them to work out for you. Perseverance. It's a testing. It's a testing. Every car you see on the road today was tested for the optimum speed. That speed you never get to on your speedometer. And I pray you don't if you have been trying to get there. Don't try it. They have tested it to make sure that even if something enters your head and you get there, the car will not fly. It will still stay on the road. I'm not saying you should go and try it. I beg you. <laughs> but they have tested it. They first tested it on a computer. They simulated it and checked it. Then when it was eventually built, they take it to a racetrack and get one of these specialist guys who drive race, racing cars to drive it at that speed and make sure that it still stays on its four wheels and turns as much as possible. Please don't go and try it with your car. <laughs> you say that thing, pastor. Say I want to try with this my car. They say two eighty. I want to. <laughs> I want to get there and see. But they have tested it to assure you that nothing will happen, even if you get there, even though you shouldn't. This is what we must understand. Every one of us has been tested. First Corinthians ten thirteen says, "No trials will come your way. No temptation will come your way that God does not allow, because He knows that in that thing He has given you the capacity to bear it. When you are crying against any kind of trial you are facing, it simply means that you don't understand that you are wired up for this. You are wired up for this. So don't be moved by them anymore." Tribulations, these are things that are attacks of the devil to make us deny the faith. Temptations basically want us to sin. Trials are allowed by God to prove our validity and like he went to Job, through Job, to prove that we are lovers of God and to also help us grow in endurance. But temptations, uh, or tribulations are clearly sent of the devil to persecute our faith. That is why the Bible says, when persecution comes, people with stony hearts cannot endure. When persecution comes, when Paul started his ministry in Acts chapter 9, when God called him, we didn't hear much about him. He went to Arabia for three, day, three years to learn 
with Gamaliel and all those people, and God was taking him through a lot of things. But the truth of the matter is that in, when he started his real evangelistic work, and they said in Acts 13, 1, he said, separate unto me, Saul and Barnabas, for the work where I to have called them, they leashed out. But one of the first things Paul was telling his converts is in Acts 14, verse 21. He gave them the proper message. He said, when they had preached the gospel, verse 21, when they had preached the gospel to the city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, Econom, and Antioch. What were they telling them? Let's read verse 22 together. Everybody go. Acts 14, 22. Let's go now. Strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith and saying, we must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. We must, through many tribulations, Many believers are never taught this at discipleship classes. They were only told to respond to an altar call with very cool music playing. Just as I am. And the person comes out on the, all, all on emotionalism. Without one plea. <laughs> Emotions don't save people. I knew this one as a little boy in secondary school. The film is still online. You can watch it on YouTube. Just put Born in Hell. You will find it there. It's a film from the 60s. When we were in school, we used to have these evangelists that go around and they have a team of people. They'll come in one old van like that to play as an evangelistic thing. If you watch Bonnie Hill and you did not get born again, I don't know what can save your soul again. (laughs) But sadly, a lot of people were getting born again on emotions. So the day I knew that "Ah, this thing is serious was the day when they brought it to our film. They brought it first time I was in a junior class. Then towards the end of my studies, they brought it again. And on the second trip, one of the people who brought the film, when they were doing altar call, he went and gave his life to Christ. Ah, you are the evangelist. <laughs> I thought you are the evangelist. <laughs> he too, when they say you want to give your life to Christ, the man said, <laughs> Hallelujah. A lot of believers today are just on emotionalism. Stony heart, very little earth. Receive the word with gladness. They are emotional about it, but that does not save. Paul said to them, through much tribulations, we will enter the kingdom of God. It's not to make people afraid. It's not to pull people off, but to set the context, to set the balance. Any believer that does not know that their lives are wired up to face trials and tribulations will never go far in this journey of faith. He said he's encouraging them to, to continue in the faith and that through many tribulations, they will enter the kingdom of God. Romans chapter 8, verse 36, it says, as it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long for his sake. Remember, the Bible says the persecution comes for the word's sake. Remember, Mark 4, 17, it comes for the word's sake. It says, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter, verse 37. It says, yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Hallelujah. We are more than conquerors in all these things. There's nothing to be afraid. There is nothing to be afraid. Everything God has called you to do, he has already prepared a way of escape for you. The Bible says, even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you should fear no evil. Because he's with you, his rod and his staff, they will keep comforting you. Hallelujah. Verse 38, he said, for I am persuaded. Are you persuaded, friends? That is the power. Be persuaded. That neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come. I have told you the best way to overcome the, the fear of death, to, to overcome the threats of death, is, to, be, is to, dis, to never have the fear of death. 
The devil uses death to harass. If there is any people that is afraid of death, sadly, like I've watched over the years, is Christians. Those who should not be afraid of death. Those who say they know where they're going after death. Are you afraid of death? Are you afraid of dying? I'm not saying live your life anyhow. And then you die. And for, for, for needlessly. No, that's not what I'm saying. But never be afraid of death. Death for a believer is a transition from this level of glory, thankfully, that we are today, to another one. Never be afraid of it. Uh, Esther said, if I perish, I perish. Is that not a human being like you? Or you think she's a, a god? <laughs> it's a human being like you. I say, let's go. If I perish, I perish. That's it. Why are you afraid to declare your faith? Why are you afraid to stand for the things of God? Why are you afraid to, 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 to declare your faith? Because you are afraid of death. It may not be physical death, but the death of the job, the death of the business, the death of whatever. Don't be afraid of any kind of death. He said, neither death nor life, whether we live or we are dead. Paul said, it is better for me to die and go, but you know, for your sakes, I can continue to live for a while. I've been crucified with Christ. So why am I afraid? I'm already dead. Anyway, this life, you see me, I'm living, I'm no longer living it by myself, but I'm living it, Galatians 2.20, by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. If you are truly a believer, that's how your life should be. Never be afraid. I was only 23 years old when we used to confront and, and, and try to, to have programs for crusades in northern Nigeria. I was only 20, 21 years, 22 years old when I was almost killed by, by militants who were against us hosting the great servant of God, Reinhard Bonke, in Kano City, Nigeria, in 1991. April. I was only 22. I went to join those believers, 3,000 of them. We were praying and waiting for this great servant of God. When I got into my car, they were almost lynching me. I prayed in the spirit. I prayed in the spirit. Of course, naturally, I was afraid. You will be afraid when you see about 500 people trying to kill you. <laughs> you will be afraid. But I held on to my God. And supernaturally, God took my car through their midst. By themselves, they started parting ways for me. They started parting ways for me. And I was driving through very slowly, but driving through, praying in the spirit until I found myself safely delivered on the other, on the other side where they had pressed through. Which I just drove into their midst. It was on airport road in Kano. I can tell you the actual spot if you show me Kano map today. I can't forget it. God will preserve your life for as long as he needs it. Don't be afraid of death anymore. The day you leave this world, and I pray you live a fulfilled life, but take it from me. As a child of God, the day you leave this world, that means your assignment is over. The day he permits you to go. If not, no devil can take your life before that time. Don't be afraid of death. I don't want this church to be people who are afraid of death. Not because we, 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 we are saying we are, we are complacent with death. No. But we are not afraid of death. We are not afraid of the threats of the enemy. Grow strong. Grow strong. Break the stony heart and you'll find yourself stronger. In the name of Jesus. <clears throat> he said, I'm persuaded. Verse 39 says, no height, <clears throat> no depth, nor any other created thing. Nor any other created thing <laughs> shall be able to separate us from the love of God. Some people allow other created things, other people, to make them afraid. A human being is threatening you and you are afraid. Another human being even if they are your superiors and those who determine things in the realm of this physical, you know where you should go. Take them 
to the affairs of the spirit. King David said, oh God, turn the counsel of Ahitophel to foolishness. Turn them to beasts by the power of God. Tell, their, their, tell God that their, 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 their suggestions and their evil plans will become like filthy talk to as many people who hear it. You love them. Don't hate them. With all this prayer, I'm telling you to pray. Don't hate them. But there is a demon in them that you must stop. It's trying to stop you. You must stop it. You must stop it. You have power to do so. Instead of crying at the feet of another fellow man. Never do it. Never do it. It has nothing to do with arrogance, but you must be persuaded. No height, no depth, no any other created thing shall be able to separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. I want you to all to be confident in this God. The Bible says, no height, no depth. Those are trying times of life that we must always recognize. They should not separate us. This kind of thing, I told you the first one was called by sin, but this kind of thing is called much more by pride. Pride. Issues of pride and harsh experiences of life. Obadiah chapter, Obadiah verse 3, it's one chapter, verse 3. He said, the pride of your heart has deceived you. You who dwell in the clefts of the rock, whose habitation is high. You who say in your heart, who will bring me down to the ground? Many believers are so full of pride today, they don't understand. Whatever grace you are enjoying is because God gave it to you. Think back over your life, five years, ten years. Were you at that place? Because now you have 1,000 pounds or something to 2,000 pounds to throw around. Nobody can talk to you again. Were you at that place? Were you at that place before? Because you are now a supervisor. You were at a point. Somebody who was looking up to somebody in that position, you are now there. You are a terror to those who you are, you are supervising. Don't do that. Pride. You begin to think, who will bring me down from here? Everyone must be very careful. Church leaders must be very careful. Remember where you started from. Remember where you are. And remember where God is taking you. Don't let where you are now be a stumbling block to where God is taking you. There is much more than you can achieve for him in this kingdom. Every one of us must understand. Pride comes like that. He said, though you ascend, he said, verse 4, he said, though you have ascended as the high, as the eagle, and though you set your nest among the stars, from there I will bring you down says the Lord. James chapter 4, he said, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I've seen many people whose ministries died before they even started. I'm telling you, firebrand on campus, when they walk, even their walk alone is, is, <laughs> is power, when they take those majestic steps. Campus. For many of them, one year after graduation, you didn't hear about them again. Pride. Pride. Some of them were so deep in the word of wisdom, we used to run away from them. Because if they see you like this, they will tell you what you ate in the morning and what, <laughs> what of knowledge, what of wisdom. They, they, were, they were that deep. They were that serious. But some of those people, some, of course, some of those people went on to do great things for God. But a lot of those people today are nowhere. Pride. Pride. I have always told you, the higher you go, the bigger your fight against pride. The bigger your fight, it's a monster. It grows with you. You kill it. God helps you. Gives you grace. You move to the next level. You see the bigger monster come again. You kill it because you have power to do so. The antidote to pride is just to remain humble. Romans 12, 3. 
said, for I say to you through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think. This is the power over pride that we have that many people don't know. Do not think. It is about how you think. Pride is about how you think. Do not think of himself more highly than he ought to think. There is a way you should think. Think that way. Philippians 4, he said, whatever is good, whatever is noble, whatever is just, whatever is of a good report, think on these things. He said, think soberly here. Think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. Pride is not a difficult thing to deal with if you can deal with your thought life. Nebuchadnezzar just stood thinking, this is Babylon. He didn't say to anybody, this is Babylon, the one I have built by my hand. <laughs> thinking. <laughs> because God engraced him and gave him the, 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 the prowess, the building prowess of the Israelites. Till today, they have it as a nation. This building that we are in, if you bring Israelis that we want to build a bunker under it as we are sat on it like this, they will build it in two months. We will be having service like this every week. How they will do it, you will not know. They will come at night, do their work, and they will build it and put a powerful bunker there. They can do stuff. They can do stuff. So God put them in captivity for 70 years in Babylon. And this man now started to think that it was something to do with him. God turned him into a beast. His son came again and did not know what he was doing. And he was just partying away. And then one day they saw a hand, many, many, Tekel Ufrasin. God has tried you and has found you wanting. He has tried you in the balances and has found you wanting. Daniel said to him, he said, your father was full of pride. He said, sadly, you did not learn from it. That's why this kingdom is going away from you. That very night, that one too died. Pride. Pride. The heart of man starts to get clogged up and stoned up with pride. We must resist it. Just think. He said, think soberly that way. So every time the devil makes you say, me, they said that to me, it may look like a justification, but that is a statement, that is a thought of pride. Who are you? They said that to you, so what? I'm not saying that it's good that they said it to you, but you know what, so what? Who are you? <laughs> Who are you? <laughs> every man needs some man. Every man needs some man. The ex-president of America was one of the most powerful men. He's one of the most powerful men on earth today. By virtue of his wealth. Very powerful man. His plane, he has been using it for, I don't know, maybe 20 something years. Every five years, it's a 747. They got it out and redo it again. Has towers all over the place in America. I love him as a person, as a human being. Like I love people and I love him and respect him. But you know something? You've got to deal with pride. Got to deal with pride. No man is an island. No man is an island. Every man needs some man. Every man needs people. Don't ever think you have everything that it takes in yourself for to become anything in this life. You need people. You need people. As a, as a Christian, you need a church. Pride is sending people gradually to the abyss. In the last one year, Cyber churches have arisen everywhere and some people have in their minds joined some churches that they don't know them. A Christian 
Your church must know you. You must be serving. Church is not a place that is meant to serve your needs. It is a place you are meant to go and serve. The Bible says as each ligament supplies. Each one comes to supply. So this one, people who are looking for church and say, oh, I found this church online. That is now my church. And they don't know you there. You are not contributing anything. You don't even, even money, you don't even send to them. You don't do anything. You don't do anything. You are not in church. You are supporting the work of somebody. Thank God for it. But you need, as a Christian, you need to go and use your gift. If you are not using your gift in that church, you are not in that church. Humble yourself and belong to a church. Nonsense. Humble yourself and belong to a church. Get yourself planted in a church. Let them know you in that church. Serve in that church. Carry chairs in that church. Help with the children in that church. You've been born again 10 years. So what? And you sit on your sofa every Sunday. Changing remote control. Going from, from, from Facebook to Facebook page. Say you are going to church. We church. We church. Pride. Pride. Who do you think you are? The body of Christ. God has invested in you to contribute to the body. Get physical. Get physical. Get connected. I don't care whichever church you go. But the reality is that if you are not in any church planted, not known by the leadership of that church, you are not in that church. Don't deceive yourself. Because this is a new order. And we're going to see many more people deceiving themselves like that. We need to start talking about it now. Very soon, church doors will be open if they are not yet open in your place. Thank God for you being online in many cases. Start going there physically. When they open the doors of that church, you say you belong, go there physically and be there. Wherever that church is, as long as they name the name of the Lord, go and be there. Don't deceive yourself. Pride. Pride. Just remain humble. Tough life experiences can also make our hearts harden. I told you this is a long one for me, but I'll try and stop here. Tough life experiences. This one I say with a bit of uh, care, just to for you to understand. At times, we go through very harsh realities of life. People go through divorce from loved ones. People, they felt they loved and all those things. People go through things. People go through loss of children. Very sadly, people go through loss of very important jobs, career shifts. People go through accidents, sicknesses, diagnosis of every kind. And some of these harsh experiences are purely tribulations, quite okay. But we must not let them cause the hardness of heart that happens to many people. Hearts can become hardened if we allow them. We must remain positive, whatever we are facing. We must, like Job... Say, I don't know what's happening around me now, but I know, Job 11.25, I know my Redeemer lives. I know my Redeemer lives. That one I can tell you without a shadow of doubt. Romans chapter 5, verse 3, he said, and not only that, but we also glory in tribulations. We glory in tribulations. We rejoice in tribulations. The Bible says in Romans chapter 4, concerning Abraham, the Bible says he was strong in faith. Even though it has become past age with him and his wife, he was strong in faith. He was giving glory to God. He did not stagger the promises of God. This is how we, we, we work against this. The antidote of tough life experiences to, is to continue to glory even in tribulations. He said, knowing that this tribulation will only give you more perseverance. Verse 6, 
Verse 4, he said, and perseverance, character, and character will give you hope. And verse 5, he says, now hope does not make, does not disappoint. But the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Every one of us must be strong. Believers must be strong. I believe God that we will see what God has told us many times we will see as a church in terms of numbers. I believe God. I'm not in any doubt of it. It's just a matter of time. God tells me that every time. He says to me, it's just, son, it's just a matter of time. Walk with me. It's just a matter of time. And I believe him because I've seen him for decades of my life. Tell me it's just a matter of time. And before I know it, it happens as if I never went through the waiting period. So I'm settled in that. But my main thrust is to make sure that whoever belongs to this church is a strong believer. It's a strong believer. It's a believer who is strong and then can help the feeble ones come into that place of strength as well. We don't pamper people here, not because we, are, we, we hate people or because we are not caring, but because we understand that the trick of the enemy to keep you in that pampering place is to make you feeble and weak. If all the believers keep pampering you every week, every week, every week, when there is nobody to come and pamper you, the devil will get you off. So we work hard to try and get you to know the word for yourself, learn the word for yourself, have a communion with God for yourself, and build resilience in yourself so that it's not everything that happens to you that you have to call a brother or a sister or your pastor to pray for you. I'm not saying any of that is wrong, but you must put resilience in yourself. The Bible says they did not have roots in themselves. They did not have roots in themselves. It is a, it is a very subtle stony heart that forms like that in the place of immaturity. Everybody likes babies. But when a three-year-old baby is still sat in diapers and not walking, I'm not sure you will be happy. It is the joy of every parent when you see your child sit up for the first time. <gasps> so he's sitting down. And then he takes those steps. He crawls and he starts crawling on his limbs. And he says, <gasps> he's moving by himself or herself. And then one day he just stands up and walks towards you. And that is the day. First day, our eldest son saw that he could walk. Oh, my goodness. I'll never forget that day. He walked around the dining table. We could not stop him. He kept around the center table in our living room. We could not stop him. And he was going, <laughs> as if he, he overcame one, one wall like that. <laughs> so we all joined him going, <laughs> he's victorious. <laughs> Hallelujah. It's a thing of joy. That's the same way God is looking in the spirit. Son, you've been born again one year. I want to see growth here. I want to see you disciple others as well. I want to see you face persecutions and come out still strong saying, God is my God, Jehovah, he is my God. Let's be like the tall palm tree that puts his roots firmly into the ground. Not only does the palm tree remain strong and continues to be evergreen, there's one very key feature about him about it. We are told that in the strongest of hurricanes that pull trees down when they come, those strong winds that just pulls trees down by reason of their sheer force, they hit the trees and uproot them and you find all trees falling down. We are told that hardly will you ever see a palm tree fall down like that. When they are all pushed, the palm tree will follow that direction and lean in the direction of the wind. You would think all the trees are down. <laughs> it stays like that for as long as the wind is blowing. You will be happy if you are the wind that now got all of them down. They're down, they're down. When you go past, 
the palm tree <laughs> returns to its vertical position by its springing action. Fantastic stuff. It stays standing. It stays standing. That is how a believer should be. The Bible says we are pressed down. We are shaken, but we are not destroyed. We are struck down, but not destroyed. We must be a people who understand that, yes, we may be pushed down. Yes, we may be attacked for our faith. Yes, they may tell us that our, our beliefs are warped and whatever. We may be told those things, but we should never give up in the face of this persecution. Break the stony heart. Hosea chapter 10 verse 12 tells us it is our personal responsibility. Hosea 10 12, very quickly. The Bible says that now it is your time to sow for yourselves in righteousness and to reap in mercy. Break up your fallow ground. It is my duty to break up every stoniness in my heart. You know where there is the lust coming in. You know where there are the temptations you are succumbing to. You know it more than anybody else. You have to break up that fallow ground. For it is time to seek the Lord till he comes and rains righteousness on you. It is his work to rain the righteousness, but it is yours to break the fallow ground and make it a good heart. My prayer for you today, my dear friends, is that you and I will keep understanding those places in our hearts that are becoming stony and rocky. That God will not have to send a Nathan to us because we have gone so far building up a stone in our heart. That by the Holy Spirit we will hear once and we will break that fallow ground. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let us pray.